0: Explodes. What was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, (laughs) I'm a pitcher. Why not swing as hard as I can? He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling at his (laughs) teammates. If becoming a sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular, this thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long. That might be the best sideline report in the history of sideline reports. Welcome in week two of the sideline pass podcast. What was a wild and crazy weekend in college football, a ton of upsets, a lot of really good games. Molly was at one of them that went into overtime and we have a special guest on this week, Taylor McGregor sideline reporter for ESPN. She's also a reporter covering the Cubs and she was at a wild game at Kyle field as app state upset the Aggies, uh, I guess, Molly, let's start with you. How's it going? How did you recover from your weekend at Pitt?
1: I'm like surprised you didn't want to start with Taylor because she has the top 10 upset. But I'll just go quickly into my game because it was an overtime game, first overtime game that I've had in a while. And that was a, a wild game, Tennessee against Pitt. Pitt struggled a ton and struggled with a ton of injuries in that game. Um, They're depending on their backup quarterback, Nick Patty, who was basically playing on one leg in the overtime to try to score, to get them the win. Uh, They had a couple offensive linemen out. Their D line was going down. Um, But Tennessee proved that they are a different team than they were last year. And they're kind of ready to take that next step in the SEC. Hendon Hooker looked fantastic when he needed, to be fantastic. Their receivers were able to make some big plays, uh, especially in their one-on-one matchup. So that was a really, really fun game and no embarrassing moments for me, really. Week two. So all was good.
0: Taylor, week one, Molly was chewing a granola bar when her halftime interview came up. And I listened. <laughs>
1: I listened and I More heard that.
2: Yeah. And it's funny because of course I think all of us try to eat something at halftime. And I was literally thinking about you this weekend as I was eating a granola bar, thinking like, okay, how much time do I have? How much time do I have?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let
1: that be uh, a lesson to everyone to be careful when you take a bite of a really dry granola bar, when you have a coach walking your way, that was mortifying. Um, but yeah, I think my game was so busy and, uh, it was so back and forth. I wasn't, I didn't get on air a lot. But I did a ton of work with injuries, just letting them know where players were, updating them off the air on injuries. It's the kind of game where someone watching it might be like, oh, where did McGrath go? Maybe she disappeared. But I was grinding and I feel like I really helped my broadcast. So you guys know that games like that are kind of gratifying when you really prove your worth to your director and your producer and you're able to keep people updated on injury stuff and they may not come to me, but they're able to tell the audience. So it was one of those games where I didn't get to tell the stories I wanted to tell. Um, I have a really good story that uh, I really wanted to tell, and Sean got into it a little bit, um, but I wasn't able to follow up because the pace of play was so fast. Um, but Byron Young, a defensive end um, for, for Tennessee, is one of the coolest stories in college football. If you guys ever cover Tennessee this year, this will be a really cool one to tell. Um, so in 2018, around then, he graduates high school and doesn't have enough money to go to college, so he starts working in a Dollar General store to try to save up money, to pay, to go to college. And while he's working at that dollar general as an assistant manager, he's working at the checkout line. Um, He sees a flyer for football tryouts at Georgia military college. And he decides to go try out for the football team and eventually was able to get into their academic program as well. And um, played at this juco for two seasons, and that's how he started with college football. And I asked him, you know, what would that kid who's working at Dollar General say about you starting for Tennessee? And, and the expectations are super high for him this year. He's a great NFL prospect. And he's like, oh, I would be amazed. I never would have believed that this is my reality. And he said something really cool. He said, you know, football is easy, life is hard. And I've been through some real life hard stuff. So, you know, gasters cool. at practice and working really hard and, uh, two days, they don't have those anymore, but like, you know, working really hard, isn't difficult for him. Cause he knows what real hardship is like. So I thought that was a really cool story that I didn't really get to tell, but I'm sharing it with you guys here in our audience, because I think it deserves to be told. Um, goosebumps. But en- that's cool. That's isn't awesome. that Cool. Yeah. Okay. Enough about my game, Taylor. I need to get into your game. <laughs> That was amazing. App State takes down Texas A&M, the number six team in the country. And it's so amazing that college football is the great equalizer, right? Only in college football can a team that has the number one recruiting class in the country fall to, you know, kids who are under-recruited. No one knows their name and they're coming out of Boone, North Carolina, I mean, how amazing was that game? And when did you know that you had a game that you were seeing? So it's interesting
2: because we do all this prep leading up to the game. And obviously our analysts are very good at schematically matching the two teams up and how could potentially App State pull this off. And so when we were talking throughout the week, the big storyline overall was, yes, Texas A&M with the number one recruiting class, but they're young. And we saw that week one against Sam Houston state, they made a lot of mistakes. And then you had app state on the other hand that lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina week one, but they have a lot of fifth year and six year guys. So they might not be the number one recruiting class, but there was more experience. And so you felt like down the stretch, if it was going to be a tight ball game, you almost go with the team with more experience. So we had sort of thought that. And then Leading up to it, Brock Osweiler, the analyst on my crew, was saying, You know, I could see App State going in there trying to run the football and Texanem not being able to match up with them because they're just smaller, more elusive, and they're going to be able to sort of wear them out, control the clock. And that's kind of exactly what happened. So we sort of knew going into the game, like, we actually might have a really good game here. This is going to be really fun. And App State is a, is a team historically that, has been really close in big games. They've had some big time upsets in the past. So we were excited going in. Now, I think probably after into the second quarter, leading up to halftime, it's it's a tie ball game and App State's controlling the clock and A&M is not making any adjustments. They're, they don't really seem to have an answer for what App State is doing. And so App State would just March down the field, control the clock. And then AM would get the ball back and their young quarterback and Haynes King, I should say inexperienced quarterback in Haynes King would get a few opportunities and he wouldn't make the most of those opportunities. And then here comes App State's offense again for another 10 minute drive. So I think going into halftime, I, you know, I think you guys have had those upsets. You kind of get a feeling like, I think this is going to be a really good game down the stretch. And then talking with App State's head coach, Sean Clark, coming out of the half, he was so confident that his team was going to pull it off. It was kind of mind boggling. And I ended up asking him that at the end of the game, like, you knew this was going to be a game that ended in your favor. Like, how did you know that? And so I would say to answer your question, it was kind of at halftime that I thought, all right, this is going to be a really good game. But I want to go back to the beginning of the game and you guys will appreciate this. I, I listened to to you and I, and I really appreciate the way that you share your insight as to how you do this job because one of the things that I think I picked up from you guys is always going up to the head coach before the game and asking, hey, are there any changes to the 2 deep?" So mm-hmm. thank God I did that because I go up to Sean Clark before the game and mind you, App State is a run first offense and they rely on their running backs to be the guys that carry the, the the game and obviously in this game trying to control the clock that was going to be even more so of the game plan well they have the Sunbelt leading rusher from a year ago back this year Nate Noel he's the team's leading rusher and I go up to coach hey coach you know we're talking any last minute changes to the depth chart he goes yeah Nate Noel's <laughs> not gonna play I'm like what
1: good to know
2: use me we had no idea that it was even on the table. He wasn't going to play. We didn't know he was hurt. He ended yeah. up getting hurt, I guess, in the end of last week's game. Nobody knew he was limited in practice. So he told me that right before warmups, and he goes, "He's gonna." Well, he I should say he said he was going to be a game time decision, but most likely wasn't going to play. So I watch him during warmups. He does not take a single rep. He was totally out there. Just I, I'm sure so a would see that he was out there, and. So watch him through warmups. And then coach gives me the thumbs down at the end of warmups. Like, yeah, he's not playing, which you guys know as a reporter is, it's the best feeling in the world where you're like, (laughs) yes, I have something that is really pertinent. It's great information. And so I get him talk back and I tell my producer, Hey, I have something really big. You know, I was going to do my open hit on the weather because Boone, North Carolina, the average high this time of year, is 70 degrees. And it was, it felt like 110 on the playing surface and college station. Well, so that was yeah. kind of being my open hit is just, you know, how, how they dealt with the weather and prepared for it during practice. But I'm like, scratch that. It's Nate Noel. So that was fun for me at the beginning of the game to sort of bring that information. And then down the stretch, it ended up not mattering And the running back room carried the, the load anyways. And they're really deep at that position. So it was fine, but still when you you are missing your leading rusher that's always a big story. So it ended up being a great game for a lot of reasons, but it was kind of you, you guys know this. like there's some days you and Molly, you mentioned it, you might have not have gotten on the air as much, but you feel like I made a real difference on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. and I sort of felt like that on Saturday of like I got some really good information and I'm really proud that we have this position on our air to you know give the viewer really
0: timely important information.
1: That's Did the you, best feeling in the world.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I loved your uh, post-game interview with Coach Clark. Um, I, I'm curious from the A&M point of view, like what was Jimbo like down there? Because I'm still a little bit shocked that there hasn't been more discussion of going to Max Johnson and not using Haynes King. And I'm surprised like we didn't see him warming up. He just hasn't been very productive. So what was his demeanor down there like? So that
2: was another thing I watched very, very closely on the sideline was the dynamic between Haynes, between Max, between Jimbo and Jimbo was constantly coming up to, to Haynes. And I heard him say multiple times, we got to get going, like, let's get going. And you could tell he was frustrated. So I, I kept getting into talk back and during the commercial breaks, I would open myself up to the booth and just say, Hey, Brock, uh, Max Johnson has a helmet on. He's tossing the ball with with Haynes might mean nothing, but let's get a camera on it and show it. Let's show mm-hmm. the viewers hey, he's got a helmet on we don't know if he's going to make a change, but seems like it could potentially be an option. Uh, ended up not being an option because he never got in the game, but that was something that I was watching very intently um, and I thought to be honest, I thought during the week after the performance Haynes had against Sam Houston, a lesser opponent, nothing particular that it wasn't going to be more of a conversation in the week and when we talked to Jimbo I mean he's notoriously stood by his quarterbacks Mm -hmm. and that's what he did to us during production meetings to the media during the week like no Haynes is our guy Haynes is our guy we believe in him he's consistent and to be honest in the game he just wasn't consistent so Mm -hmm. we'll see moving forward what A&M decides to do but during during the game there was a lot of talk between Jimbo and Haynes and, uh, and Max Johnson was right there. He, he was in on some of the conversations. And like I said, he had his helmet on. So it was an interesting thing to watch for sure during the game.
1: And I think Jimbo has said since then that anything is up for evaluation this week. So maybe they will make a change, um, especially if they weren't seeing the kind of confidence and momentum from a guy like Haynes. Um, but I'm wondering what Jimbo was like at halftime. I didn't see your halftime interview. And going into an interview like that, you know, the game's not going their way. He's frustrated and And he talks a million
0: miles a minute.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And you know, you're going into a situation where you're talking to a pissed off coach. I did the same thing. I went for the losing coach at halftime, Pat Narduzzi, which we can get into in a little bit, but what was Jimbo like at halftime?
2: So you nailed it on the head, Chris He talks a million miles an hour. So I was going into the interview And, you know, you're always thinking, what does the viewer want to know? And if I'm the viewer at that point, I I sort of want to know time of possession. Like how important is it? How do they get App State off the field? Because the week before they were having a hard time getting their run game going and out of half, they lined up in the I formation. So for me, I'm thinking, okay, I wonder if schematically there's a big change that could happen out of half. So I was sort of thinking like how can I get that information out of coach and so my first question to him was you guys are losing the time of possession battle how do you get app state off the field and of course he just like went a million miles an hour and addressed like mm-hmm. all these different things and then my producer gets in my ear and was like okay thank him because he had talked for like a minute so I was kind of bummed because I was like oh like I really wanted to follow yeah. up on another question um so the halftime interview with him was not great. It, 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 I didn't get a ton of information. Um, and looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have just led with like, could we see a quarterback change and see what he would have said? Or like, you know, message to Haynes King, but that stuff's always, you know, Do you know what's interesting?
0: 2020. we've changed this year, how we're doing halftime interviews. Cause our going into half, especially at the noon game, the studio wants the, the time. So my walking into a halftime interview never makes air, even if I shoot it. So what we've done is you can kind of control your own narrative. And so if there's a situation like Jimbo, I would have gotten him walking off off camera, or I could have asked him and, and I, and I would have asked him, are, are you going to play Max Johnson? Something where we're like, it's off camera, so he d- can't get pissed off. But at least you have, mm-hmm. you know, insight into mm-hmm. if, if Brock and Anish. And then I record my interview coming out. And then we oh. play it and two box it over action. And so we wait and we hold what we think is going to be the best interview coming out.
1: Or coming out. That's interesting. And coaches are usually a little better coming out because they've had time to process everything in the locker room. That's I think that's a that's a good idea if you definitely know it's not going to get run, which I know the studio wants the time, but also do you want to hear from someone who's going to speak for the coach or do you want to hear from the coach himself? Like as a viewer, Mm -hmm. I think it's doing them a disservice to not hear from the head coach of the number six ranked team in the country. I mean, I can clean my case as much as I
0: want, but when the studio people are like, send it to us. I get, in my, yep. I get in my,
1: we're getting Matt shirt, buried. I'm like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting yep. buried. Yeah. I absolutely hate that, but that's a good idea, Chris, because then you have a report for the second half on what the other coach told you and you have a, an interview that you can run. Um, I, I, in my game, um, with Pitt in Tennessee, Pitt is the higher ranked team and they were down by a score and I'm and and Tennessee, it has the football and they're like about to score again. And I'm like, this could be ugly. Do I really want to interview Pat Narduzzi if they're like down by a couple scores, he's such a salty coaches coach, like the kind of guy (laughs) that could give you a really bad interview, but it's also good TV. So I'm like, okay, like I'll put myself in um, the crossfire and just (laughs) see what he has to say, because he challenged uh, he challenged a touchdown call that was very, um, obviously a touchdown. And so he used up one of his challenges and one of his timeouts to do so. And it was, he didn't
0: think it was a touchdown and he was, it was a Tennessee touchdown. It was
1: a Tennessee touchdown that he challenged. It was um, very obviously a touchdown. He got it wrong and so he uh, lost a timeout and a challenge and that's something that could have affected the end of the game and it was an overtime game and you need all those opportunities that you can get and they're talking about it on the broadcast and I'm like, great, I have to ask him about this. It's gonna maybe piss him off, but I have to give him the opportunity to defend himself because people are like killing him for this. So that was my first question, which a first question that's a little combative, hey coach, what went into your decision? to challenge that Tennessee touchdown, uh, in the second quarter. And he said, he said, I stand by what I did. I still think it was the wrong call. I don't think it was a touchdown. You know, I think that the officials got it wrong. Okay. And then going into half, his quarterback was hit. Keaton Slovis was hit so many times. Their defense was getting after him. His hand is bleeding. He has grass all over him. He's all cut up. And I'm just like, coach, Keaton Slovis taking a lot of hits. How concerning is that to you? And he said, he's a tough guy. He'll be fine. Next thing you know, coming out of halftime, Keaton Slovis is nowhere to be found. He's in the locker room with an injury and they have to depend on their backup the entire time. So I'm like, you know what? I'm really glad that we went with Pat Narduzzi and that I asked those two questions. One about a controversial uh, decision that could affect the end of the game. And the second about their quarterback situation, which ended up changing the game for them.
2: So I have a question about injuries and I'm glad you brought this up Molly, because I had a situation where an app state linebacker got hurt during the game, went to the locker room, comes out in a sling and the SID tells me he, he it's questionable to return, but he's on the sideline in a sling. And like, he's very clearly not going to return. So I'm curious, do you guys report he's not coming back? Do you say, mm. like, what What do you say in that situation? Because to me, it's like, you're very clearly not coming back, but SID isn't confirming that. So, like, what lingo do you use? The terminology maybe is a better word for it. Like, what do you say in that situation?
0: I would almost point out the fact that the schools are so... Um, hesitant to release information be like I see so and so down here in a sling according to the school he is questionable to return but you know, and obviously it depends on if you have the shot of him but you know but as you're looking at him currently he's you know dealing with a shoulder issue and wearing a sling yeah. Like I've I had just, coaches like he's not in pads anymore. And I've had them be like, he's questionable. Yeah. And you're like, and he has no pads on. And then you <laughs> yeah. kind of make light of it and throw, I kind of throw schools a little bit under the bus. Cause they're the, that's the information you're giving them. And, but it's like, but this is what you're currently seeing on your TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I had something similar happen in the pit game. Pit had so many players that were going down with injury and they had, I think it was a D lineman. Um, they couldn't put any weight on his left foot and they, and he was sitting on the sideline for the rest of the first half. And they said, he's questionable. And I said, are you going to rule him out? And they said, we're not ruling him out. He's questionable. He came out of the locker room at halftime in street clothes with a boot on. And they wouldn't update me on whether or not he was out. So I just said to my producer, Hey, the player in question is in street clothes and a boot. Obviously he's not coming back. And I let my um, booth just give that information, Mm -hmm. uh, especially because the pace of play was so fast. But if I were to give a report, I would say something to the effect of, Hey guys, um, you know, Pitt doesn't release injury information or Pitt won't rule this player out. But as you can see, he's in street clothes, no longer in pads and is wearing a boot on his foot. Um, Like keep it as straight as possible. And don't put your, don't give your opinion. It's really, hard not to say. So my guess is he's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I try to stay away from that. Just, Mm -hmm. just give exactly what you see and what you were told. And then the booth can say, Oh, well, he's obviously not coming back. That could be their job. You know, your job is just straight. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Like your job is just straight information and, um, people will deduce what they need to from that, but you don't want to get in a situation where you're like guessing
0: Okay. We had we had a ton of injury, a ton, uh, particularly on South Carolina, like one right after another. And then I had a player that I didn't see get injured. He was South Carolina's best defensive player. And then I he's got like a towel over his head. He's hard to walk. He was never hit to the to point that like we can't find any tape of like where he was hit, that he would be. Have a concussion. And then he walks to the stands and is like crying with his dad in the stands. And I'm like, what in the world? His trouble walking to the locker room has having to have one of their medical staff like help hold him up, a towel over his head. So I'm like, I just basically said, just show him walking to the locker room. And I can explain that he was having trouble walking, that he was crying with his dad in the stands. The dad got out of the stands and went into the locker room.
1: Oh my god. And I'm like, what wow. in
0: the world is this?
1: Turns out did he they not
0: give a- you after half? He had a migraine.
1: Oh wow. Oh. I've never
0: had that before.
1: So he wow. had a migraine and was he able to return?
0: Mm-mm, he didn't even come back out.
1: Wow. Well, that's debilitating. If you have a migraine that yeah. bad with with sensitivity to light and sound, that's really unique. Um yeah, but that's a situation where like it could have looked like he had a concussion. Yeah. And then what if his migraine went away because he took some like awesome meds at halftime and then he came back in the game and you did do, if you guessed that he had a concussion, you would have been wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's why like you told exactly what you saw and that was like the right move, but I'm interested. I'm going to be texting you on the side after this, Chris, because <laughs> I have Georgia at South Carolina this yeah. weekend. So I need, I need to know who's injured and beat up with South Carolina. So I, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I got to send you they were- uh, by the end of the game, there were five starters on defense out. Uh, that I got injured in the game. Uh, It was interesting because I I wanted to know how good uh, Arkansas is. I cover the SEC a ton. And to me, like talking about them heading into the season, I had higher hopes for them than I did Texas A&M. And on top of that, it was Spencer Rattler's first kind of big time audience Mm -hmm. since the everything that happened at OU. And he was very private with it. He didn't want to get into too many details. He was very nice about it, but not oversharing, but you could tell he was at peace with everything that happened and his to, to make, allow him to be able to gain the respect of his teammates. The coaches put him through really physical workouts in the weight room during the spring so that they, he would have a chance to prove to his teammates of, you know, here I, I'm going to work my ass off and mm. so much so that they voted him a team captain. Uh, but I had like a couple stories that didn't make air that I wanted to get in. And one of them was we're sitting there with Sam Pittman the day before, and he's such a joy to be around, but he has, he coaches with the, I have a chip on my shoulder. That's just how his team plays. And I said, that was easy to do your first two years. And now you come in after a nine win season and you're favored in all these games. How do you find the chip on your shoulder message each week? And he goes, Oh, I, I find something. And I was like, well, what is it this week? And he was like, I'm not telling you. And he was like, let's just say it's not something I have to tell them. Sometimes it's just things that I show them. And now I'm like, I have to find out. They're like, Give it to me. So he's like, he goes, maybe tomorrow come find me pregame. And I'm like, sweet. Yes. We go and we do the like the off the bus interview. And as he's walking and I'm like, I'm going to wait till kick. OK, I'm not going to try and ask him too early. And as he's walking away, he's like, I ain't telling you. I'm like, dad. <laughs> I was like, that was going to be like my little nugget, but I did find this and this was fascinating to me and it didn't get him, but they have a tight end Trey Knox who came as a wide receiver. When he stepped onto campus, he was 205 pounds. He's now 245. And so he went through his whole nutrition you know, regimen. He has to eat 5,500 calories a day, but the nutritionist was telling me the hardest thing for him is that every time he works out, he loses five to eight pounds. Because he's a salty sweater. She goes, the amount of salt that you lose when you sweat is a big determination of how much weight you lose. So you could sweat a lot, but if you don't have salty sweat, then you don't lose weight.
1: And I don't so want to they be have a
0: salty sweater. Yeah, I, know, <laughs> I know me too.
1: And, and she get she's... some salt.
0: She said that like Gatorade has developed these patches that like test the sodium in your salt or the, so the salt in your sweat. That's cool. I just had never heard that before. You lose more weight when you sweat. If your sweat is more salty than not. So they
1: have these patches could like you wear one during a game or do the players wear them? Like I'm interested. I want to go like they already know.
0: And so they already, I'm sure you could get it from Gatorade, but they already know. And she said that, you know, before Gatorade started coming up with these tests, I was like, "How do you know?" And she was like, "I don't know. Some guys just kind of lick their face if it's extra salty, or you could tell like on the hat, like the residue if it's really white." That's,
1: that's so much information. That yeah. is information. Here, let Which... me. Oh, uh, 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 salty! Uh, uh. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. We're that's all going to be licking our licking our faces
2: now after
0: we worked out. Am I salty? See, for that's. It?
1: That's a really good story, but I don't know how you fit that into a broadcast. Like, Hey guys, this guy's a salty sweater. We had a side by
0: side of him picture wise of when he came on campus to now and gating 40 pounds. And it's like, it's a huge difference. And so that was going to be the story. And I was also, and so there was going to be about having to eat 1500 or 5,500 calories a day. He loses five to eight pounds every time he practices because he's a salty sweater. Oh I uh, my
2: goodness. <laughs> I I went to Arkansas Chris so I of course was tuned in on your oh, guys' team. Yeah. I thought your open was really good though with Spencer like I felt like Thanks. it really set the tone in the scene of like he's now at South Carolina and he earned he earned the chance to be a captain and um I liked when you said you know he's he's like at peace with the the OU stuff. So I thought it was really good. I thought your open really set
0: set the tone for like what Thanks. fans were thinking. How So if if anyone's watching this, you're currently in New York. How the heck do you manage the first half of football season where you are also have six baseball games a week? Like, how do you manage the meetings and the prep and all the other stuff that goes along?
2: Well, I don't have children, so I don't know how (laughs) you guys manage your schedule with children. That's the real story. Um, I feel like my schedule is easy compared to you guys. Uh, no, I, I mean, luckily, baseball games are at night. And so I really just try to schedule everything in the morning and get my prep done in the morning. Um, luckily, it's a couple extra flights. So I get a lot of work done on the plane when you're forced to sit there and, and really work. So I, it, I make it work um, just kind of like you guys, you know, you make it work with your kids. I feel like people always ask me that. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I just do like it is. Yeah, it's tough, but you make it work.
1: Can you take us through a typical week and what it looks like for you right now? Like people would be shocked to hear Sunday through Saturday, like what your week yeah. is like.
2: Yeah. So this week was a little bit wild. Um, I had the three, three thirty 30 Eastern kick for A&M. So I was able to get out that night out of Houston landed late on really Sunday morning, got home at like one o'clock, 1.00 AM. Um, and then we had Sunday night baseball on Sunday. So luckily, I didn't have to work the game broadcast. I just had to go in and do post-game. So I did post-game. <clears throat> game ended around 11 p.m. And then we had to drive to the airport, get on a flight to New York. We, we landed in New York around 3.30 a.m., got to bed about 4.30 a.m. And then yesterday morning, I went into MLB Network. So I had to be up at 7.30. So I got like no sleep yesterday um, and then did a game last night. But then this morning I slept till about 11 a.m., got up, did our production call for this week's game. Um, I'm, I'm going to NC State, Texas Tech at NC State. Did that. Chris texted me. I'm all with you guys and um, I'll get ready and head to the ballpark in about an hour and a half. Um, and then we're here till Wednesday fly back off day Thursday. I'll travel to, um, Raleigh on Thursday, but really the mornings uh, I'll, I'll focus like tomorrow morning will be really heavy prep for my game this weekend. I talked to one player already for NC state. Um, but tomorrow morning and then Thursday will be like my heavy, heavy prep days for, for college football. So it just, it, honestly, it's a lot but I'm sure you guys find as moms, it's like when you're given only a certain amount of windows to get your work done, like you get your work done. Mm-hmm. Um, I found like once baseball ends, sometimes I like get lazy and I'm like, I really <laughs> should be prepping and I'm not it's like, why am I not? Prepping? But it's like, cause you feel like you have so much more time. So I do feel like when you're kind of in the grind, you're more efficient and organized with your time.
1: Yeah. yeah. If if you want to get shit done, ask a busy person to do it and they yeah. will get it done. Like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. I'm always, I'm always much better at my job when I'm busy and I'm like constantly rolling. But basically what I'm taking away from your schedule is that you just don't sleep. Like th- <laughs> this, that is, that is a young person's game. I am oh only now just starting to really need my sleep for work trips. So you're just able to operate off of very little sleep. It sounds like, and because you've been, with the Cubs and you know, this team, like the back of your hand, you probably don't really have to prep that much for these game broadcasts. Like how much prep do you do? How much is it? Like when you get to the ballpark, you'll just talk to a couple guys before the game. Like, tell me about that process.
2: Yeah. So because baseball is an everyday sport, you just can't prep that much. Um, You know, like you're doing your days prep that day um, for the the broadcast. So, uh, you know, I'll take the subway over. It's about a 30, Forty-minute subway ride, and I'll read our game notes on the way over there, and then I get to the ballpark, and I kind of have an idea based upon what happened in last night's game who I want to talk to, and and really what happens is like from the the previous night's broadcast, like I'll keep notes in my phone of like oh I want to follow up on this mm-hmm. I want to follow up on this, and so going into the ballpark today, yes I'll like you know read our game notes and get fresh stats, and maybe there's a storyline there, but really it's just kind of like looking at my phone of the notes i kept and like following up with guys so the clubhouse opens for about an hour and that whole hour i'll just bounce around and talk to different guys and and get storylines for that game so yes you're right it's it's a lot less prep than a football game obviously because you know you're going into two programs where you have a, a little bit of an idea what's happening but you're not following them and watching every single thing that happens throughout the season so it's a lot more prep to get up to speed on the two to school.
0: So, I mean, Chris knows you did baseball. Like, it's just sort of you roll with the punches yeah. day in and day out. Well, my, this is what I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you because when you got to the Cubs, they were still really good and not, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're not, not going to make the post. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's just say it is. They're not going to make postseason. And that to me was what people never understood was it's hard to find stories that Mm. when you're working for a regional network that are positive and, you know, especially where I was in San Diego, they wanted everything positive. And at some point when at the all-star break, you're out of it already. It's really difficult down the stretch. And you're like happy for the minor leaders coming up because yeah. you have some sort of story or you have some sort of interview yep. Like right now. How difficult is it to just come up with content every day? You know,
2: I would say the Cubs overall are not playing well, but the good news is there wasn't a ton of expectation on this year's team. So nobody thought coming into this year, this team was going to win the world series. So with that, you know, you can kind of spin little stories positively um, you know, like a lot of the guys who are getting chances to play every day this year. There's a lot of stuff that comes out of that. And just like little stuff with guys personalities, but I did in 2019, I was at the Rockies and in, in 2021, a year ago, I was with the Cubs, both of those teams were expected to do well. And so in September in 2019, I will never forget one of our players got engaged So I'm like, oh great, easy hit tonight, you know? Like so and so gets engaged to his girlfriend. He posted photos on social media. Great. So I go up to him, I'm like, hey, congrats. Um, I was like, I had asked him, like, I asked him something about the engagement. He goes, I don't want you telling that story on air. And I'm (laughs) like, what? And he was like, look, he was like, we've lost eight in a row. He's like, I just don't want it to seem like it's a distraction. And I'm like, well, you posted on social media. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, I get it. However. If the team was winning, like that's a great story. Like, yeah. oh, you know, this team's on the way to the postseason. So and so just got engaged. Like, all's good. So it is tough. I mean, there's certainly an element of being a team partner that can be really challenging. Luckily, we called this it ride- selling rainbows, is what we called it. <laughs> we say turning chicken shit into chicken salad. <laughs> 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 that's really, that's what it so is. So good. <laughs> Um, oh my god. But luckily for us this year, like I will say it's it doesn't feel as hard, maybe just because the expectation wasn't there as much. So it doesn't feel as like every day this world's just falling down on you like it had in the past with some of those teams that were supposed to be good and worked.
1: Mm that's so interesting I I Chris knows I wouldn't know I never worked in baseball um, but I imagine that it's such a grind in everyday sport like that and doing that on top of college football like I'm just amazed by you and your schedule and oh, gosh. it's your story's really cool for people who don't know because you grew up in sports you know your dad played in the NFL and he was president of the Rockies mm-hmm. that must have shaped you is that something where you you kind of always knew that you would work in sports. And was this always like a dream of yours where you were like, I want to be a baseball reporter? Or like, how how did that kind of influence you in your career? I think really the
2: biggest thing for me was I didn't know anything different. <laughs> you know, my my grandfather was a longtime high school football coach. My dad played and then worked in sport. And, you know, a lot of the people we were surrounded with worked in athletics. And so for me, it was like I didn't see that was just what I saw. You know, a lot of times it feels like people follow what their parents do um, because that's what they see. And so for me, it was sort of what happened. You know, I I always knew I wanted to work in sport. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Um, and then when I was growing up, Carissa Thompson was the sideline reporter for the Rockies. And then it was Alana Rizzo. And I'm so thankful that you know, we say representation is important. And like, for me, it was so important because I saw women on TV and I saw somebody who looked like me and thought, oh, that's what I want to do. You know, I knew I wanted to work in sport and I see somebody who looks like me and sounds like me and like, that's what I want to do. So she was, those two were really the the two that influenced me to kind of get into the industry. And then, you know, of course, time goes on and and you see other women and Um, I was really influenced to do this job. And then I went to Arkansas and I, in Arkansas, when I was in college, they were the number three team in the country, my freshman year. So they were really good. And then I was around college football and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know if there's anything better than college football. Like I want to do this. Um, and so it was sort of just a, I guess I didn't, I, I, I probably wasn't smart to not attempts to do anything else, but I just didn't really know anything else. And this is what I wanted to do.
0: I'm curious, Molly, like we ask people for uh, mm-hmm. questions. And usually it's a mm-hmm. bunch of reporters that uh, are growing up in local news or in college. But we have like a legit reporter that has a question. Yeah,
1: Stuart Mandel <laughs> from The Athletic is a longtime <laughs> listener and first time <laughs> caller, he says. My question for the show: How often do you find that the media's coverage of a team does not match with what the coaches tell you in the meetings? For example, a writer who has zero practice access might say this former big recruit is poised for a breakout year, and the coaches are like, "No, this guy can barely remember the plays and will never see the field here." So, how much do you see that disconnect? Um, and I said to Stuart, "I said we'll definitely get to it in the pod." So, shout out, Stu, um, <laughs> and. I think that happens pretty often, but it's the kind of stuff that's off the record that you can't ever repeat. Like, I'm not going to repeat any of it here, but I think an example is like coaches will say, well, he's not the brightest bulb uh, on the tree. So we're really working on getting him up to speed. Like things like that where where players aren't um, meeting the expectations intellectually in terms of football IQ, or they're not a hard worker, um, you know, there's a player on a um, big team who's poised for a breakout year and a lot of people are really excited about him. And the coach we spoke to said, yeah, you know, um, he's just not all with it and he's struggling um, emotionally and mentally. And this is something that's just been a constant problem with this player. So I don't know how much you'll see him. And that's yeah. something that to respect the coach and the relationship and to respect the player and the issue that they're going through. You don't repeat that and you don't give information on that. So I don't know if people will ever get a real feel for these programs and what it's like to be in these meetings, because a lot of our access is based upon trust and relationships. You don't want to break Mm -hmm. that trust by giving that kind of information. I don't know your guys' experience with that.
0: Yeah, I think that we definitely get a peek behind the curtain that uh, local reporters or even national writers don't get a chance to do because they're not sitting there on a Friday in the facility having meetings that the coaches know that if they want something off the record, it's not going to be shared. I also think that for reporters that that aren't us – like the, the access to practice now is extremely limited. So the knowledge that you're getting is all based hearsay. Also like reporters nowadays are also radio hosts. They're podcasters. A lot of it also is more opinion-based and the stuff that we come in with, is all stuff that is what we have seen, what we have heard from that day from the coach. It's not based on my opinion of reading 15 different articles or how he was ranked in this recruiting class or anything like that. Like our information basically comes from a Friday afternoon meeting. And you know, it's so to me, like, our access is completely different than the beat reporters that cover it on a daily basis. They might be there more often and might have developed a different kind of relationship, but ours is a relationship where they know if I, I can give you some honesty and I know you're not going to put it on the broadcast.
2: Yeah. I think it's interesting. Both of your guys' points are exactly spot on. I think what I would say to that is like oftentimes there becomes a narrative around a player and maybe it's a narrative based upon a really small sample size of information. I'm I'm thinking of one player in particular who this year has a ton of hype around him. And I've listened to my analysts talk about him and he's like, "Ah, I see why there's this hype, but what about X, Y, and Z? You know, maybe people evaluating him, in these recruiting websites or, you know, the local media or whatever, they don't have the background information to see why X, Y, and Z is important in, in the complete package of a player. And so, and maybe it's because somebody, you know, hears this one narrative and they think, okay, we're going to roll with that. And then all of a sudden that is how the player gets pictured. And then again, like we've talked about in meetings, you go in and the coaches might say, yeah, he is really good at X, Y, and Z. And so now he's like been hyped up because of all this. But not a lot of people are talking about X, Y, and Z. And like to get to the level that everybody's hyping him up to, like he needs to improve on this. So I think a lot of it's like, sometimes narratives get pictured or like uh, created and it's hard to break that narrative. And so like to, to Stuart's point, it's like, I think, I don't know how often it happens, but it definitely does, happen where there's like a narrative of a player that gets put portrayed nationally or even in the region. And then we come in and we're like,
0: eh, you know, that narrative might've been fair a year ago, but it's not really fair anymore. Yeah. Like, an, like a good example would be last year coming into the season. Do you know the quarterback that was predicted to be the number one quarterback taken? Emory Jones. Oh, Jones.
1: Oh, Emory Jones. Emery wow. Jones,
0: who did not I mean, the second game into the season, and it's interesting when you have a quarterback as your analyst, like he's watching and being like, why isn't Anthony Richardson playing? Like we just saw him break 85 yard touchdown, you know, there becomes so much hype, you know, and, and a lot of it's these draft boards and stuff that, and then it's, you know, you listen to your analysts behind the scenes when they're like literally breaking down every play five different ways. And the, a lot of these preseason high, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Will Levis. Like I remember when he was announced as like the number one overall preseason, you know, quarterback, it was like, what? And a lot of times those that come in with it don't end up being the guy. And now Emery Jones is at Arizona state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one thing that you mentioned, Chris, that I'm curious about, you mentioned you know, like a big reason why we are trusted with these coaches in these meetings is because we are responsible for basically just spitting out facts, right? We're going to be factual with our reports, with our uh, evaluations of the team. An analyst will give his opinion on the positives and negatives and strengths of a team, but the play-by-play and reporter are just strictly factual, right? And the analysts have the clout to be able to to give their opinion, but we are not opinion givers in those situations. I'm curious for you because you're doing radio during the week and radio requires you to talk for a long time and to give an opinion. And when I was on a daily show at Fox sports, I gave my opinion and it's really hard to give an opinion on things, but to also be a sideline reporter Mm -hmm. because you are bound to say something that someone disagrees with and it could affect those relationships. How do you like toe that line? Of being like, yeah, this team sucks this year, but what <laughs> if you what if you see them next week and the coach yeah. is like, hey, uh, get out of my meeting room? Because coaches will do that if they don't yeah. agree with something someone said.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you could toe a line, but everything that I do is fact-based and it's not, you know, so. Like yesterday, we were talking about Anthony Richardson and having had him game one, like I like my point was, I thought it was unfair to him to all of a sudden put all that hype off of what he did on game one. And there's a whole season that he still needs to develop. And we saw portions of that in game two against Kentucky there, you know, that I'm sure he would like the second interception back on a bad read, or, you know, to have a little bit of touch on the ball instead of letting every, you know, throw be a laser or like getting into Scott Frost. Like the facts are that when this happened five years ago, we all thought it was going to be a perfect hire. And, you know, then you get into the opinion of, well, I don't think they maybe should have brought him back this year. If we, they were going to have that quickly of a hook three games in. So when I, I try and base it of like, It's not my opinion on Scott Frost, because most of the time I really like all these people. So I don't want to say anything Mm. bad about them. But the facts are he went 16 and 31. And for a fan base that sells out a stadium since the 1970s, that just wasn't enough for the athletic department. So Mm. I I try and basically get around it by doing a lot of research and sharing facts and teeing up like EJ Manuel was my co-host yesterday, teeing him up on. Like what did you see out of Anthony Richardson in week 2 that was different week 1? But there is like always like I'm on for 3 hours, don't say anything too stupid. Like what's <laughs> hard not to do for 3 hours?
1: <clears throat> I mean The worst mm-hmm. was
0: when I thought that there was I got the amount of presidents wrong on Mount Rushmore and I was like, I, "It <laughs> is
1: <laughs> Wow, you guys are really stretching that 3 hours and talking about some interesting
0: stuff. I would yeah. not be getting into US presidents." <laughs> It, you know, fun. you do like the Mount Rushmore sports. And so it was yeah. like, oh. who's on this Mount Rushmore? And then I was like, wait, there's five or there's four. How many are there?
1: I don't know. And I'm not <laughs> going to comment. <laughs> are there
0: four or five? I think there's four, but I thought there was five. And I was like, I'm okay. today years old when I also yeah. didn't even know where Mount Rushmore is. Um, uh, So other <laughs> embarrassing things. Let's end this on a on a fun note. So Molly's most embarrassing moment was last week with the granola. I spilled bacon grease on my white dress. And so I had to like do a little pinning and a nice microphone placement. What's your most embarrassing on air,
2: Taylor? Oh gosh. My most embarrassing
0: moment on air. There's just like our game day in general. Like maybe you bit it or something.
2: (laughs) I do have a, um, like by far my most embarrassing, but turn into like everybody laughed about it on air. This is my first year in Colorado. I'm just going to tell this story because it's too good. To to tell. First year in Colorado, you know, going from local news to live TV and sports is so different. Like you have a teleprompter. And even when you're live in the field in local news, like you have a very allotted amount of time, you know what you're going to say. Like, it's just easy. And, and I shouldn't say easy. It's easier in sports. Like you have to adjust to what's happening on the field. And it's just a whole different ball game. So, anyways, I had done three years of local news. I get hired by the Rockies. My first year with Colorado, like I was very green. Cause it's just different. So I I just used to get so nervous going on the air. And so, anyways, we had this sold segment and it was called Rocky Routine. So, you know, I I think it was every Two to, it was like two to three times a week. We'd have to come up with a routine of one of the players and tell it, and it was sold. So, this routine that I had come up with was guys on the team would drink these juices to help with their sleep, especially in Colorado. Like, that's one of the things recovery is really important. So, sleep's important. So, telling this story hey, you know, X, Y, and Z drinks this, that's your rocky routine, and they sleep really well at night. Okay, cool. Back up to you. And my play by play guy who is one of my still dear friends they always used to make fun of me because i would get on the plane and like pass out instantly i can sleep with anybody so i do i really do need my sleep but i can just get it at different types of times of the day and really anywhere so anyway he goes well taylor we all know you don't need that sleep or that that stuff to sleep because you could pass out anywhere and i go ha ha well you too you know drew uh i go <laughs> You don't need it either. We sleep together.
1: <laughs> oh no.
2: <laughs> and I'm in like, the minute I said it, I'm like on the plane. I mean on the plane. <laughs> I mean on the plane. Like, and so, and so then they just like start burst out laughing. And like if that happened to me now, I feel like I would handle it much differently because I'm so much more comfortable on air, but like I was so shook. So I go back and watch that video and I just cringe. I'm like, that is, I mean, it was, it was something. So that's that's probably the most embarrassing. Um, I can't really think in football, like a a moment of eating a granola bar or spilling on my, I'm sure it's probably happened. You'll
0: appreciate this of baseball because of how much (laughs) like you're around the team and like you're in the clubhouse all the time. We had the, the very last flight of the year, all the rookies dress up as something on the plane. And I had gotten to know one of the fiance's and we're leaving the clubhouse and like about to get on security to get on the bus to get on the plane. And the fiance was like, Hey, what is, I don't even remember his name. What is Robbie dressed up as? And I was like, Oh, I was like, he's not dressed yet. He just got out of the shower. And I'm like, why am I telling this girlfriend (laughs) that I know that he just got out of the shower?
1: I'm like, is <laughs> this he's naked. Just saw his wet. Butt. Yes. It just <laughs> yeah. not covered with clothes yet. Baseball. So
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it
2: is. It is. Mm. It was, a uh, and like, that's, a, I think as a young reporter coming up in college, and then you get an opportunity, it's like that's the stuff people don't talk about. You don't talk about going into a locker room around naked men. Like how do you handle yourself in that situation? Like it's, yeah. It was very like, oh my god, this
0: is weird. What do I do here? Like, I don't know how to handle this. Yeah.
2: The first Your producer ever- needs
0: this interview, but he's sitting over there with a hand towel over his junk yeah. and you're just like, oh, yeah. "I oh how do I get <laughs> <laughs> how do I get out of here? Just yeah. get dressed, give me my interview so I can yeah. leave." Yep.
1: I think the first time I saw like a grown man's hairy ass was in the <laughs> Red Sox clubhouse <laughs> as an intern working in oh, Boston. No. And I'm like, "Oh, oh, this is happening. Okay. And I'm just like looking at my notebook, like, don't look up, don't look up, don't look up. And I think it was that moment that I was like, yeah, I don't want to work in baseball. Yeah. Like (laughs) I can't, (laughs) this is so weird. I can't do this. Or like, uh, I covered an NFL game and I go into the Colts locker room after the game. And I know one of the players, I know an lineman, and he has a hand towel literally like around his junk and he's like, Molly. And he goes to hug me. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. not yeah. see you later see this you is later. why we like college because we don't yeah. go into the locker rooms i love yeah. not going yes. into the locker room i it's don't best need to do that shit it, it is of
2: being a national reporter is like at the end of the game you get to talk to the winning coach and you don't have to go into the locker room and you're like thank you
1: and we're out the job here is done yep. yeah
0: i, I don't and Get so sound true. for the next day
1: yep yeah oh that is brutal well taylor thank you so much for telling some funny stories making us (laughs) laugh and joining us you do an amazing job and you balance all of that work with so much grace so thank you so much for sharing your perspective and coming on the sideline pass podcast and we'll be back next week with more stories more embarrassing stories so make sure you uh like follow subscribe do all the things that the kids do on the tiktok and uh we'll see you next week